been uh, in our, you know, our series Passing It On, and today we're going to continue with that. Uh, we're looking at uh, Elisha. And man, today, the passage we're going to look at, I, I guess I had read this, this passage so many times in my life, but I, you know, when you actually get to teach on something or preach on something, if you've ever, you know, all of a sudden, God just shows you new stuff, okay? And for me, it was just, part of this was just a new way of looking at this, and, and why it's exciting to me is because it's something all of us face, okay? In, our, in, in your life and in mine, how many of you, and, and you can hold a piano, you don't have to, okay? But how many of you have, at some point in your life, you've had some dreams, you've had some things that you were really kind of looking forward to and hoping for or thinking about or counting on, and, and they just haven't happened. They just haven't happened, at least not yet, okay? And almost to the point where you could start to say, I'm going to give up. Okay, what I, today, that's what we're going to talk about. Okay, we're going to talk about that. And so, um, it's exactly this situation. It's going to be involving the prophet Elisha, his servant Gehazi, and this wealthy woman in the, uh, in the town of Shunem. So, our passage today, if you want to open your Bibles or you can follow on the, up on the, uh, the screen is going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 8. I'm going to read it to you out of the NIV. So here we go. One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. He said to her husband, she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room for him on the roof and Put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him, and then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day, when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and she stood before him. And Elisha said to him, Tell her, You have gone to all this trouble for us. What now can, we, what now can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. And his father told the servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please, send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or a Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on, don't slow down, unless I tell you. So she sat out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her at a distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God, 
at the mountain. She took a hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, don't answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or uh, was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, "The boy has not awakened." When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on the couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and he lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room, and then he got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he did. And when she came, he said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. We've talked about uh, this before as we've, uh, as we've studied scripture that, uh, you know, back in those days in Bible times, there weren't hotels like there are today, okay? You couldn't pick between the Hilton and the Garden Inn and the Marriott, okay? Uh, and, and so, you know, when, and travel was difficult, okay? Uh, so when people did travel, where they could stay was kind of challenging, and the, the few inns that existed were not safe. They were not good places, okay, where you wanted to stay. And so when people traveled, they tended to stay with friends or relatives or associates or somebody that, you know, you knew, okay? And um, that's what was going on. So for, fortunately for Elisha, you know, it talks about because he passed through regularly through this town of Shunem, this local wealthy woman got to know him and recognized that Elisha truly was a man of God. And so she and her husband decided that up on their roof, they'd build a, a room. You know, the houses then had flat roofs, and, you know, so easy to kind of build a second floor on there. So they put a room for him, and, and it was a place where Elisha could stay whenever he passed through. And, you know, can't you imagine how much Elisha appreciated that? I mean, honestly, I mean, that, if you were regularly going through a town and, and hotels weren't easy, and, you know, for someone to actually be willing to build a room for you and say, whenever you pass through our town, you're welcome to stay here. And so when he stayed, they fed him and they took care of him. And I mean, and, and, um, maybe they helped him let him wash some clothes or whatever. I mean, I mean, well, but think about how much you would actually appreciate that. Okay. And so on one of his visits, Elisha is there. And I mean, he, he's this man of God, but he's grateful for how that someone is being kind to him, okay? And so he's thinking, hey, surely there's something we can do for this woman and her husband just to like some expression of our gratitude. And so they, they, he asks Gehazi, and Gehazi call, talks to her, and, and the woman says, says I, I have a home among my people. Now, what that really is, she's just being polite. That's a way of, you know, saying, like, I, I, I mean, I have a home among my people. Like, what else could I want? Okay, so she's really just trying to say, thanks for asking. 
Everything's okay. You don't have to, you don't have to repay me. You don't have to do anything. Okay? But, but Gehazi, interesting, this time it wasn't, Gehazi recognized that there really was an unspoken desire of this woman, something that she hadn't said. And so, so Gehazi go, turns to Elisha and, and he says in verse 14, she has no son and her husband is old. Isn't it kind of interesting? I mean, most of us, when we look, now it says that the, these, this was a wealthy couple. Scripture says it. They were, they were wealthy, okay? Isn't it interesting? A lot of times we can look at wealthy people and think, huh, they don't suffer any of the same problems I do. They don't have my problems, right? No, do you know what I mean? You know, like, like, you know, they don't have trouble making the car payment or they don't have, no, you know what I mean? We, we can imagine that their lives are just easy, right? Because they got money. But here's a perfect example of that just not being true. Because here's this wealthy couple, and yeah, they maybe could have afforded to build a room for Elisha and all that, okay, but they had no child. They had no child. And, in, and we all know in, in those days, I mean, to be childless was not a good thing. And so here was something that was a desire of their heart, that were, they had not been shielded from this area of disappointment by being childless. But isn't it interesting? And here's a question I have for you then. So do you have some deep desires of your heart that have gone unfulfilled for so long, like the wealthy woman or husband, okay, that maybe you've just quit bringing them up to God? Maybe you've just quit even thinking about them. You don't have to raise your hands, okay? I mean, you may have just decided that that moment has passed. It's just too late. And so it's not even worth praying for any longer. You've just kind of buried the dream. Obviously, that was the case for the Shunammite woman because she thought her window of opportunity for having a child had passed with her age, so why keep asking? And she must have felt that way so strongly that when the man of God says, what can be done for you, she didn't even bring it up. It doesn't even come up. Fortunately, for her, God revealed it to Elisha's servant, Gehazi. And so he spoke it. And so what happened? Elisha's servant, in verse 15, says, About this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. Now you'd think she would jump for joy. But what did she say? She found it hard to believe. I mean, she, and she was certainly wealthy enough and smart enough and had lived long enough to know that what she didn't want was false hope. Right? She didn't need false hope. She didn't need somebody just telling her something to make her feel good for a moment, but it's not going to happen. She knew better than that. And so she said, please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But in the end, she must have agreed with Elisha and actually received this prophetic word, which, by the way, is a really important point. She must have actually believed it and received it. Matthew 10, 41 promises us something. It says, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet receives a prophet's reward. Now, a little more accurate translation of that, literal, is whoever 
welcomes, whoever receives a prophet as a prophet, receives a prophet's reward. Now I'm going to translate it for you one more time. I'm going to kind of put it in the way we talk today. Okay? So here's how I would say we'd say it today. Whoever believes that a prophet, whoever believes that the prophet standing in front of them is, is actually and literally uh, a prophet from God, do you actually believe that? Okay? And then you believe and receive what they say to you as being a word directly from God for you, then you will receive what you've heard. But each of those steps along the way are critical. You have to actually receive, believe that the person standing in front of you is a prophet from God. You have to receive what they say for you, and then it can be true in your life. The woman and her husband had welcomed Elisha as a prophet, literally, a bunch of times. They had welcomed him. Okay? They had built a room for him up on the roof. They had been feeding him meals. Like I said, they may have washed his clothes. Who knows? But they had welcomed him as a, pro- as a prophet a number of times. But this was different. This was different. Now, what they're being asked to do is to receive him as a prophet and to trust to trust him with their hopes, to trust him with their heart, with their dreams. Even the dream that was hard for them to think about any longer. But she did. And in verse 17 it says, and it came to pass just as the man of God had promised. So this child is born. So what's when it says you get the prophet's reward if you do that, what's the prophet's reward? It's the fulfillment of the thing the prophet said. So let's be clear on this, okay? This didn't come to pass just because Elisha said it. That's a big point. This didn't come to pass just because Elisha said it. Because the prophet of God spoke it, And she received it. She received it. Look, the same thing applies to you and me today in our lives. We have to actually receive what God has for us in order to see it come to pass in our lives. God's got great plans for you, but he doesn't force them on you. He doesn't force them on you. You have to receive them. Okay, so then the account continues, right? So what we saw was sometime later... Has the boy's grown some? I mean, I think about it. This boy is growing. He's doing great. Mom is like the happiest woman in town. Right? I mean, can't you imagine the joy after all those years of desiring a son, and now she's got one, and he's growing, and everything is good? This was all good. And so all of a sudden, one day, it's, it's, it's harvest time, and it says the, the boy went out to the fields to be with his father. Because what does every little boy want to do? He wants to go see what dad's doing. Okay, and so and so he's out with his dad and while he's there, his head begins to hurt and he's crying out, father, father, you know, and he said, my head. And so what does dad do? <laughs> he sends him to mom. He, 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 he gave him to one of the servants and said, because mom is the nurse. Everybody knows that when you're sick, you want your mom. Right. And I mean, so to, to me, it just sounds really logical. Right. So he sends the boy back to the house to be with mom and mom holds the boy all morning long. But later that morning, he died. Can you imagine the tragedy? 
can you imagine? It started off like a great, beautiful day, and dad's going out to the fields and said, and the little boy is, wants to come along, and sure, and now his head hurts, send back to mom, and, and before lunch, by noon, he's died. Satan wasn't happy about this woman being blessed, about her dreams that had been finally fulfilled. He's not happy when our dreams are fulfilled either. It's important for us to remember that even in the middle of our greatest victories, everything we have is a gift from God. Everything we have is a gift from God. And we need to continually entrust those gifts to God for his blessing and his protection. So what happens next becomes really important, not only for the Shunammite, but for you and me. When you start to think about it, what should you and I do? Because we've all said, we've all had some stuff in our lives. It looked like it might be going well, but it dies. It doesn't happen the way we thought it would, okay? And, or we have some things and we're concerned about that. And so we need to talk about this and see when, when it appears that our hopes and our dreams and our desires are the stuff we've been praying for maybe for years, it's finally coming to pass, and now all of a sudden it looks like it's getting taken away. It's not going to happen. We know one thing for sure. We know what the enemy wants you to do is when it looks like it's dead, just call it dead, wrap it up, and bury it. He wants you to give up quick. So what should you and I do when it appears that our greatest hopes have died? Let me tell you. The first thing we need to do is don't bury it too soon. Don't bury your dream. Don't bury your dream. Listen, during this period of history, it was really common that when somebody died, you buried them like the same day, right? For, for health and sanitation reasons, and, you know, they had the religious, you know, rules, but I mean, but it really had a lot to do with health, okay? And, and so it was very, it was common practice to do that. And so, and, and we see that, I mean, all throughout Scripture, right? I mean, Lazarus, it talks about in the New Testament, even, you know, Lazarus died, they buried him the same day. Jesus, they took him down off the cross, laid him in a tomb. I mean, so we, the Scripture's full of that. That was common practice all throughout uh, the Scripture times, okay? Normal thing to do. Once the child had died, what would have normally happened, right, is they would have called out to the father in the field. He would have come home. They would have looked for any family members nearby. They would have wrapped up the child, and real, before sundown, they would have buried the child. That's not what happened here, is it? So what happened in verse 21? It tells us that she laid the child on the bed of the man of God, and then she went out and she shut the door. Why do you think she did that? Why is that significant? Why did she lay the child on the bed of the man of God and go out and shut the door? Hoping for a miracle. What do you think? What else? She, she was putting her faith, I mean, for her, the man of God represented God, right? That, so she, she was wanting to put her faith in God. Any other thoughts? I think she closed the door to, to kind of like prevent, you know, to, to, to not allow, because by having the door open, people might have heard or know. She, 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 she just wanted to keep it. But between her and God. Yeah, yeah. I, I think last week, Pastor Cindy, in her message, it, part of it is some of the same reason. She, they wanted, she wanted to close out unbelief. I think, I think it's, some of it's exactly the same reason as from her message last week. Okay, so, I mean, I mean, just now, I realize this is a 
scripture and I've got a message for you, but I mean, let's be real people here for just a second, okay? She didn't tell her husband. Wouldn't you think, I mean, under normal circumstances, the child died, that the first thing she would have done, maybe while she's still holding him, is say, send to the fields and get my husband. Our son has just died. I mean, okay, but that's not what she did. She put him on the, on the man of God's bed, and she went out and she shut the door. The woman refused to accept the finality of death, at least not until she had seen and talked to the man of God, who was responsible for bringing this dream to pass to begin with. Here's the point. Don't be too quick to give up on and bury your dreams, even when it appears they've been taken away. Listen, don't call your friends and talk about it. Don't post on social media all the sad things that have just happened to you. Because there's a really important spiritual reason for that. Don't speak it into being. Don't speak it into being. Keep the issue, the apparent disappointment to yourself, at least until you've brought it to God. Talk to Him first. There's one truth I'm really happy in my life than yours is true. And the simple uh, way we talk today is nothing's over till God says it's over. Nothing's done till God says it's done. Nothing's impossible unless God, God decides, right? You know, there's nothing impossible. Listen, until God says it's over, even when the world's, from the world's perspective, Everybody around you, if she'd left the door open, would have passed by and said, that's dead. That dream's dead. That bit of your life is not going to happen. No, don't bury it until you've talked to God about it. That's the first thing. Okay. Second thing is continue to speak life over your circumstances. Resist distractions, including other people who will try to tell you to just be practical. Just be practical. Just be reasonable. Just accept things the way they are. Look, don't allow anyone or anything to distract you from taking your issue to God. Continue to speak life over your circumstances. Think about it. When the woman's husband, remember she said, she said send, a, send a servant out, tell my husband to send me a donkey and a servant to take me to the man of God. Okay, and, and, the, and the man of God, so... When the husband's asked, he comes back, right? The husband asks, why are you going? It's not a new moon or a Sabbath. It's kind of like, basically it'd be like, why are you going to church today? It's not Sunday. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, right? That's kind of, you know, why, why are you going to church today? It's not Sunday, okay? Even then, she didn't bother to tell him. She didn't bother to tell him what had gone on. Because if she had, what would have happened? That would have started a big, long discussion, wouldn't it? No, it would have started a discussion about, well, how did this happen? And why didn't you send him to me sooner? Or, you know, dear, did you do everything you could? Or, you know, when did he first complain? Or, you know, I mean, they would have started, not even blame, just understanding how did all this come to be, right? These discussions would have served no good purpose at that moment. And they would have simply delayed her in her quest to get to Elisha, the man of God who was who she knew she really needed to get to. While there is no doubt this woman had faith, she also knew that every moment counted. 
It's time to keep moving. Look, I want you to be aware of something. When you've got that moment in your life and your faith is being tested like hers is, the enemy will try to delay you and keep you from going to God. He will, distractions, yes, he will give you distractions. And, and if distractions don't do it, it'll be worry. Because worry, will, you'll, you'll spend all your time thinking about, well, what if, and what might, and how could this work out? And that will keep you from going to God. Regret, oh, I should have, could I have done this, would I have, what if we'd done a little of this better? It will keep you from getting to God. Doubt will keep you from getting to God. And for sure, fear will keep you from getting to God because it will paralyze you and cause you to not be able to move and to go and get in front of God. The Shunammite woman also knew that people could keep her from getting to God. The woman knew that she had to get to the man of God quickly, no delays, no interference, and no distractions. Her faith was being tested, wasn't it? Her faith was being tested, but she knew it was crucial that she continue speaking life over this situation. Like we said, Proverbs 18.21 says it clearly that the power of life and death is in the tongue. If you start calling things dead, they're dead. They will be. Incredible what this woman did in verse 23. The result of that is when her husband says, why are you, know, why are you going? She just says, that's all right. It's all right. Then she sets off on a, is a 25-mile journey from where they live to, Shunem, to Mount Carmel, where Elisha was. Now, for us, we'd jump in the car and be there and well, for those of us who speed, <laughs> it, just, it just all depends on how fast you drive, right? But we could get there in a half hour for sure, right? Okay? Took a little, a little longer for her. Can you imagine the, the few hours that would take? Your child's back on that bed dead. And can you imagine every attempt the enemy must have made to try and break through to her during that time and beat her up and wear her down and cause her to quit and think this is silliness, why am I doing this, and go home and just bury the child, bury the dream. I mean, this had to be the hardest 25 miles this woman ever, ever traveled, but she did it. And then it says, so Elisha sees her out in the distance while she's still a good ways away. So what does he do? He sends Gehazi out and says, go out and find out. I see the Shunammite. Go out and ask her, is, is, is she all right? Is her husband all right? Is the child all right? And what does she still say? She says, everything's fine. Wow. Everything's fine. Okay. Everything's all right. No matter how everything would look to everybody else, just you keep speaking life over it. You keep saying it's all right. Finally, you pray as long as it takes. If you're like me, you're really good at what might be called ASAP prayers. <laughs> as soon as possible. In the next five minutes would be, you know... <laughs> No, I mean, right, I mean, look, and, and I think God's okay with that, all right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking it, but I think we, we spend a lot of our lives uh, not praying until we tried all our stuff, and then it didn't work, and now we're kind of backed up against the wall, and so we end up doing a lot of help. And I'm really thankful God listens to those prayers, too. 
because most of us wouldn't be here today if some of those prayers hadn't been answered at some point in our lives. Okay, but there's an author that uh, I, I really like. He's written some great books. A guy named Mark Batterson, and and some one of his he's got a series of books kind of around. Started out with a book called The Circle Maker, and now he's written some other books that kind of exp expand on that. But one of the things that he talks about is is this idea of uh, AL instead of ASAP prayers, ALAT prayers. Okay, as long as it takes. As long as it takes. Okay, praying and you don't give up. When a woman reached Elisha, it says she fell at his feet and she poured out her heart. She understood that now she's, she's in the presence of God. She's with the man. She knows that now is the time when she can speak because now she knows that something can happen. Okay, and, and so she pours out her heart. I mean, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just amazed. So I just have a question for you. How could, how, why do you think, how do you think this woman could act with so much faith throughout this whole journey from the moment of the child dying, but bringing him and putting him on the prophet's bed and closing the door to a 25-mile donkey ride to Mount Carmel, saying everything's okay, don't worry. I mean, how do you think this woman could live with so much faith? Because the child was a gift from God in the first place. child was a gift from God, so she already knew. It was, so she'd already seen a miracle from God, right? Why else do you think? Well, I guess the child wasn't born because it was, it was a, a word of God that she had a prophecy that she received from you know, from the prophet. Yep. She, I'm not going to bury the child until the, the word of God says, right? Says it's over. Any other thoughts? I think those are all very, very, very good possible. I, mean, I always, I also just always look in scripture. You know, I'm kind of the guy that I like to ask myself, what did they know and when did they know it? You know, what, what might they, what might they have known? Well, Elisha did follow after Elijah, okay? And maybe she had heard the story of what Elijah had done sometime earlier uh, with, remember, the widow of Zarephath? And in 1 Kings 17, uh, when he brought back to life the son of the widow of Zarephath, okay? And so maybe word of that, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Maybe word of that had gotten her. Maybe she knew that the man of God that had, had prophesied the birth of her son, uh, you know, was also the same kind of man of God that over here with a widow's son had brought a widow's son back to life. So maybe she actually, you know, said, this can happen. Okay? And so maybe that's one of the reasons. We don't know, but all we know this is that no matter what it was, she endured suffering, watching her son suffer. She watched him die. She endured the, the journey all the way there. And she just kept holding on to her faith. She kept holding on to the belief that, that God can do anything. So for you and me, it's praying those as long as it takes prayers, not giving up on it. The world will tell you and me, 
to give up on stuff. We can find a lot of folks who will tell us that, hey, give up on that marriage and move on. Give up on that job. Give up on that financial situation. Give up on that friendship. You pick it. There's a lot of people who will tell you to give up on stuff and move on. I believe what Batterson was proposing is exactly what this woman demonstrated for us. She just wasn't willing to give up hope and bury her dream and accept the the child's death and move on. She wasn't going to do that. She was going to speak life over her dream all the way till she got to the man of God and see what he would say because that's what mattered. When she gets there in verse 30, you know, he sends Gehazi on with with his rod and says, lay it on the child's face. And, and I don't know, it kind of, it doesn't say this, but because based on what she says next, I kind of think, you know, Elisha must have said, that, you know, that's good. But she says, as surely as the Lord lives, and as, as I live and as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. Now, again, in today's language, buddy, I'm not leaving you until you come with me. That's, that's what she's really saying. I, I, you, I'm going to stay right here until you get up, put on your sandals, and we're going. Because you are the only solution to what i got going on. There is no other solution. And, and so again, I realize it's man of God, but this is you and me. God, God I've talk, I could be talking to all kinds of people, God, but you know what? They're just going to tell me, they're going to tell me this is, I'm too old, I don't have enough money for that. Uh, my, my turn has passed. I'm going to get passed over again. God, I could just sit and believe and listen to all them. And everybody in the world around me would go, well, that's wisdom. That's being practical. But God, until I hear it from you, I'm going to hold on to this dream. And God, I'm going to, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here in my prayer closet. I'm going to stay here in front of you in your presence until something happens. I'm going to pray as long as it takes until I get some kind of answer. Man, that's who we want to be, right? Because, because I don't want my dreams to die unless God's saying it's time for them to go away. Because I do know this, if God actually wants to, to, to remove something from my life, He'll replace it with something better. You, you see what I mean? I might say, this, what a loss. But some point in my life, I'll look back on this moment and I'll go, wow, what I thought was awful and maybe the worst day of my life, I see now how God has redeemed that thing. And I mean, even the enemy meant it for bad, but God can redeem it for good. And so even what looks bad today can be a blessing in the future. But the point of it is speaking life over it, not burying it too soon, waiting for God to answer. And I mean, that's what we need to do in our lives. With, man, I mean, when you, look, all of us that have, in our jobs, how, many, how often do we need to do that where we've worked to get through it? Okay? I mean, how often? How often have any of us in our finances been at a point where you just go, I don't know how this is going to work out. But unless God does something, it isn't going to work out. Okay? I mean, we've been in a, a marriage that looked like I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out. God can redeem it. I, I mean, I just want to, I want to give you hope. There is no problem too big. There is no challenge too great. There's no... We serve a God whose arm is never too short to save. 
but He doesn't force His plans on us. So it's up, we need to receive it, and we need to walk it out. She wasn't willing to give up her hope. She wasn't willing to bury her dream. She got to the man of God. I'm thankful to serve God who can breathe life into dry bones. I am so, gra- I am so grateful that I serve a God who is more powerful than the power of death in the grave. And I'm also thankful that you and I serve a God who actually cares about our broken hearts. Who actually cares about them. And who actually wants to touch them and heal them. If we'll just let him. You know, the Shunammite woman still had to walk back with Elisha. <laughs> Before she really saw her prayer answered, she had another 25-mile journey ahead of her. I bet this one went a whole lot faster. Because she's walking with God. She knows, she knows. Her hope has been built up, restored. She didn't know the outcome yet, did she? I mean, she, she still didn't know the outcome. But can't you imagine she was a whole lot happier heading back with Elisha than on the way there? And Elisha then, think about it. Nobody's been in the room with the child. The door was shut, so unbelief couldn't get in. Elisha went in, shuts the door. He prays. He, he, he does what he, you know, I'm sure, you know, I mean, what he did, I don't guess that's in any medical books anywhere. But obviously that's what God told him to do. Okay, and what we know next is the door opens and he hands her her son. Back to life. Back to life. I want, I want my dreams to be determined by my God. I want your dreams, you know, those hopes, those things that you believe, They're not over unless God says they're over, but it is, but we do have a part to play in it. And that's, I I always had seen this passage, this account, as just another miracle of bringing someone back to life. But I see so clearly this this is the same as our hopes and our dreams because this child was a hope and a dream of this woman. And, And God protected it and preserves it. I'm just impressed with that Shunammite woman who kept telling everyone that everything is fine. <laughs> everything, everything is fine. Because she had a God who's capable of anything, even restoring her life, her, her son's life back, okay? She didn't give up, neither should you and I. Neither should you or I. Why don't you stand with me? Let's get ready to close today, okay? Just bow your head, close your eyes. Uh, it's, a, it's a real simple question today. Okay, nobody looking around. Uh, but, you know, do you have dreams, desires of your heart, promises from God that you just feel like have died? Or you feel like it's just too late for them to come to pass? And I'm sure to some degree that's everybody here. So the real question for you is are you willing to step out in faith and to decide today 
that I'm going to continue to speak life over that, and I'm going to pray as long as it takes. I'm going to pray as long as it takes to see God move. I'm going to pray as long as it takes to see God move. Hey, here's a catcher. Even if it takes the rest of my life, even if it takes the rest of my life. If you're willing to say that today, just slip your hand up. Say, yep, I am willing. I am not going to give up. Amen. Praise God. Lord, today you've seen our hands. God, we want to live the life that you have created for us. God, we want all that you have for us. And so, Lord, today, uh, we pray, Father, that we would have the faith of that Shunammite woman, God, who, who didn't bury her dreams, who spoke life over it, and Lord, she persisted in getting to you. She prayed as long as it took to see you move. And Lord, today, that's our commitment as well. Father, I want to thank you in advance for dreams that have not yet been realized being born. I want to thank you for hope being restored. I want to thank you, Lord, for lives being transformed for eternity. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.